What's going on guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Health Mastery Show. Today I have on with me Dr. Eric Helms. It's Eric's second time on the podcast. Uh, Many of you who listen to this podcast will know who Eric is. He's a pro-natural bodybuilder. He is a coach at 3D Muscle Journey. He's a powerlifter. He's a researcher. He's a professor. Uh, He does a lot of things. But Eric is very well known in the natural bodybuilding community and I always enjoy talking to Eric. Today we talk all about how to be a successful bodybuilder or natural bodybuilder and what that actually means. So before we get into the podcast, I just want to talk about my coaching services. If you do want to uh, reach out and get some coaching one-to-one, you can find out more about that and the people that I work with on my website, healthmastery.co. You'll find the links down in the show notes. You'll also find the link to a free natural bodybuilding course if you want to take that as well. But without further ado, let's get into this podcast with Eric Helms. Eric, thanks for coming on again, man. Adam, glad to be back. My yeah, it, it's great. It's great to chat to you again, dude. Um, so, how have you been doing? I, I know we talked a bit, up, a bit offline, but for for those who haven't heard from you on this podcast for a while, have you been doing during lockdown? How's your training going? How's your life been? How are you keeping uh, in between the years? I'm well. Yeah, I'm very, very, very fortunate here in New Zealand. We had a second minor surge that lasted a few weeks before we got back to zero community transmission of COVID. Um, That happened as we were moving into a new place. It also happened when I was a few weeks out from uh, Masters Nationals in weightlifting. So, you know, it it messed up my training a little bit, but I was still able to borrow a barbell and snatch in, in a partially moved into garage for a little bit before we got our home gym going. And yeah, so I'm a little over four weeks out from a, from a powerlifting meet and training's going well. Um, that's an interesting experience being very detrained from, from the powerlifts and seeing my performance go up every week. It's a, a nice, nice feeling. Not as nice as when it's a higher number and going up fast every week, but, uh, but yeah, I'll, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. I'm well, and we're very fortunate here with, with, with COVID for sure in New Zealand. Mm. I think it's been probably one of the best or one of the, the models uh, for, how it's how to how to tackle it i guess worldwide uh won't get into that because i don't know really anything about about infectious disease or public health but um yeah i think it's been pretty hard in in europe and in the us as well bodybuilding shows all got cancelled the one natural bodybuilding Mm -hmm. show in ireland i had a few clients that were going to compete in it for first time uh the one that i competed in last year got cancelled just no gyms so no gyms so people can't you can't expect people to really prep without a gym in fairness uh and and it's on the uk they only had one show as well the the uk Mm -hmm. the fba last two weeks ago or so uh which is great that it got to go ahead because it was i really enjoyed watching it um but yeah it's it's been it's been tough and the world's cancelled this year as well so uh hopefully next year things are a little bit better so this podcast, what we re- what I really want to talk to you about was bodybuilding. So, um, you know, a lot of people who listen to this like bodybuilding, natural bodybuilding. And the topic I really want to touch on was what does it mean or how do you become a successful natural bodybuilder? Mm-hmm. And, you know, what I, what I mean with this is not just what are the tactics that you have to do, although that's important as well, but how do you 
how do you become a you know a mentally successful natural bodybuilder? Because like you said, not everyone's gonna win. And I think I spoke to Alberto last week about bodybuilding. Can't I can't remember the topic now, but we we talked about just how some of the top natural bodybuilders, like top top, are just genetic freaks. Of to be honest, probably most of them are that that win worlds, for example. And some of them don't actually have to. I don't say I won't say they don't have to try that hard, but they they just they're kind of relaxed and they, they do very well without, you know, getting too caught up in the, the minutia. And that's often why we talked about when they cross over to say untested, like some, some of the guys cross over, they don't do that well because you got to be very on point with your pharmacology and, and it's a whole nother realm. And and some guys do really well, like um, Sean Clarida or I can't pronounce his second name, but you, you know, what I'm talking about Sean Clarida, Kai Green, Clarita. Kai Green. Yeah, exactly. So, these guys obviously are spot on with with everything and ticking all their boxes. Whereas some other guys that have crossed over haven't really done that well. Where you think, well, they're top at natural bodybuilding, so you know, unless they have a really shitty response to anabolics, they're 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 going to be pretty high up in in that side of things. But if you're if you're taking this kind of relaxed mindset in natural bodybuilding and just they just have you know they train hard and they they eat you know enough protein and they they just have great genetics, um, so. So that's why it's not an ideal to ask ask somebody like that. What's what is it to become a champion bodybuilder? But for for others, then I guess how do you how do you deem yourself a or how do you deem yourself to be a successful natural bodybuilder or to become as successful as you possibly can? So I know that's a loaded question, but I guess let's start with the with the tactics point of view. So if you're sure. if you're saying you know from all your I don't know how many years it is now that you've been into bodybuilding, but I know it's at least 15, I'd say, right? Um, yeah, just right, right around there. In my yeah. first show in 07, and I was training for that purpose, purposefully in, in, in 06 and 05. So, yeah, we're right around mm-hmm. there. And all the clients that you trained um, within personally and also as part as, as 3D MJ and also your research, how, how does someone like maximize their, their their you know if they want to be I, I want to be Eric I want to be a pro world champion one day whether that's achievable or not this is like hypothetically uh, wh- what do they got to do nutrition training uh, and I know we only got like 40, 40 minutes but um, they tell you everything you need to know yeah, yeah. I think it, it's important to start zoomed out so, that, so I think the first thing we need to understand is that many people in many sports and t- typical sports models they have a far shorter time to peak. Um, so like if you want to be a good gymnast, the typical model is you start training as a single digit human, you know? Um, and if you're not doing something pretty impressive before you're uh, an adult, you're probably not going to be an Olympian, you know? Um, that is absolutely not the case in, in bodybuilding. Um, you know, even if you look at other sports, like for example, you got till your late twenties or early thirties in some sports to kind of hit your peak in natural bodybuilding. Um, you have a, a legitimate shot at being just as good as you were in your late twenties, uh, as you are in your late forties, but arguably, and most of the time a bit better in your late forties. Uh, even if physically you might be, um, similar size, you might have be more consistent with your conditioning better posing, shorn up a little more, more weak points. Um, and, uh, I, I can think of a lot of examples where, uh, most of the time people are 
grown grown men before or, or women before they're 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 at their their personal peak. Um, you know, I, I have not done a poll of uh, the age of, of like world champions or anything like that. But the age of most people who win a pro card, there's a little bit of data on this, is in their late 20s. Um, and then you, most people requires a few more years in the pro ranks before they start to actually place uh, and, and, and do well, and especially at the world level, do well. I would not be surprised at all if like the average age of someone who medals at Worlds isn't like 33. Um, and I bet if we took the range, we'd see people in their forties, you know, Martin Daniels, for example, who is a, you know, WDF world champion and he's now turned pro everywhere, including the IFBB, I think as a, um, as a classic, classic, pro. classic yep. body. Yeah. He's, I want to say in his fifties now, um, Marshall Johnson, who at his peak lost to Doug Miller by one point, uh, did that at the age of, in, in his early fifties, um, Jeff Alberts, he's currently at his best and he's, you know, turned 49. So I think, I think we need to realize that um, being successful in bodybuilding is something, it's not just about the old adage of, uh, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. You know, while that's true, what I'm really getting at is that you want to avoid burnout like the plague. And ironically, I would say bodybuilding has probably a higher risk of burnout than like many other sports because it asks you to manipulate your entire lifestyle with the nutrition changes. So I think first off, the whole strategy needs to be, all right, I've got, you know, let's say you're, you're, a, you're a young person, you're young twenties, you're going to start to do competitive bodybuilding. You go, okay, cool. I got two decades to do this. Um, and if I rush into this, I may burn out early or just not enjoy or love the sport anymore. Um, I may get an injury or, 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 you know, have to deal with a period of where I'm, I'm mentally really messed up from the sport and come back to it. But you want to avoid burnout with the plague. You want to basically foster uh, the passion for the sport because while well, you kind of put forth that, hey, a lot of these world champions are genetic freaks. And then I would say at a certain level in natural bodybuilding, there is certain uh, natural talent entry to even get in, in into that, that echelon. Um, but another thing that is a barrier, like a certain, a certain barrier to even get into any echelon of bodybuilding or even on stage is you have to be pretty passionate about it. There's a lot of people who do it once, tick that box, um, got some photos that can show to their grandkids and they're done. But for people to actually compete bodybuilding long-term, that requires a certain level of passion and the ability to maintain it. Um, so those are like the two entry criteria because you, there's a lot of genetic freaks who do bodybuilding and hate it and, you know, never, never do it again. So they're, mm. they're obviously, they haven't maximized their potential. Um, and then there's a lot of people who uh, can't get there because they, they don't have the talent, but they, but they stay in the sport. But the only way you're going to have a shot is if you're actually in the sport to do well. So, you know, if we take kind of the archetype of someone who is, you know, decent genetically and with a lot of hard work and a lot of years will be able to, you know, rub elbows with some of these guys who are, who are world champions and, you know, maybe win a smaller show or, you know, place top five at world or something like that, which is an incredible accomplishment. Don't get me wrong. Um, but it doesn't necessarily require you to be a total freak of freaks. I think the big picture perspective is that you have to create a lifestyle which makes 
focusing on the minutia, uh, crossing your T's, dotting your I's, and being incredibly consistent uh, and being very uh, ruthless in your ability to be self-critical, but in a non-harsh way to make improvements, um, you have to do that and not burn out. And I think that is like the, the first answer I would give to your question is you need to find a sustainable way of being passionate and competitive for yeah, like a couple decades. Yeah, I think that, that makes a lot of sense. Obviously, I was actually just looking at some photos yesterday and the guy was like, I was like, this guy could be a great natural bodybuilder, but he was like clearly, you know, heavy and didn't look like he ever competed. So there's probably a lot of freaks out there that could be really good natural bodybuilders, but you have to want to do the the pants dance and suffer and put yourself through through all this. Um, and that obviously makes sense. You know, it, it's probably one of the tougher sports or endeavors or whatever you want to call it, um, because it's at the by the end, when you're getting on stage, it's 24-7. You just are mm-hmm. reminded what you're doing. Uh, so that does make a lot of sense. And then I guess you're, you're touching on the point of trying to be as perfect as possible, but then not crossing that line where you start to resent doing it because then you're going to automatically eliminate yourself from being a good natural bodybuilder long-term because you're not in the sport, right? And I, right. I see that with... Uh, I don't know if I see if I see this with like if it's in like untested bodybuilding, IFB bodybuilding, or something else. But a lot of them don't last that long. I don't know if it's because they put their body through so much and they just mentally they feel like they can't do it anymore. But when you talked about guys don't hit their peak till you know forties or whatever, uh, or, or at least a lot of them do, that's an anomaly in like uh, I, in in the IFBB. It's, you don't see that at all. You you rarely see somebody that's you know, over 40 that's, you know, still competing, you know, you see Dexter Jackson or whatever, but it's usually Ronnie the Coleman. guys who are younger. Yeah. But, but a lot of time it, into his forties, you know, yeah. exactly. Dexter Jackson. I think that is almost more survivorship bias than it is. Uh, like I have to think about this, you know? Um, Cause I, I would agree. You, there are a ton of people who just fall away. And in, in the enhanced ranks, you understandably have people with a little more extreme mindsets. Um, you know, it is, I mean, not, don't get me wrong, natural bodybuilding is extreme and you have to be a little messed up in the head like us to decide to do this in, in long term, to continue to do it. Um, but if you also then go, sweet, I want to take that and I want to throw a whole crap ton of pharmacology on top of it, I think that lends its itself towards being um, attractive people with extreme personality types and extreme personality types. The easy thing to do is to flip the switch, go all in, think black and white about it. Um, but that absolutely has to be tempered to some degree for you to stay in or you're going to, or you are exactly what you're talking about. A lot of people who, uh, burn out. So I think the the IFBB pro champions who we've seen have been around a long time have competed into their forties. Um, you know, like a great example like Dexter Jackson, they have a relaxed air to them. They have a confidence, but also an extreme focus. Um, and I don't think that is the the norm. You know, like yeah. if you listen to Ronnie Coleman talk about it, he sounds like the most relaxed guy in the world, but he's also, when you listen to how dedicated he was and how nothing keeps him out of the gym, he also has an extreme personality type. So holding both of those simultaneously is is relatively rare. Um, 
I think, think we that, see a lot. Go ahead. Do you think that in a, to be at the top of any sports? Because to be honest, I haven't really been at the top. I played basketball when I was younger for Ireland, but it's <laughs> it's not a big sport here. But do you think that to be at the top of any sport that requires a lot, you do need to have that mindset of almost brushing the line with or flirting with being too much or you know tipping yourself over the edge in order to to in order to succeed like is there a fine line between like you really need to push yourself to almost be obsessed to an extent but you don't want to but but those who maybe step the line a little bit are are the ones who kind of fall away or or because you can't take a too too much of a relaxed approach with, with uh, bodybuilding, right? Or or any sports, you can't be like three weeks out, but I'm gonna have pizza because you know I'm relaxed and drinking beers and stuff and skipping the gym. That's that's a nonchalant approach, but you're not gonna do well. So, what are your thoughts with with that kind of flirting with the idea of almost being obsessive? I think it needs to feel semi relaxed to you, even though from an outsider's perspective, it looks obsessive. Um, so like you said, if you're having pizza three weeks out, you're simply not going to do well, you know? Um, but if you're three weeks out and you look like an OCD, like bag of anxiety, who's constantly like asking, asking questions and worried about things and, and, oh my God, oh my God, this, oh my God, that, that's fine. If you're a first or second time competitor, that, that's everybody, you know, to some degree. Um, but if you're still like that and you're a pro and you lose your shit every time you're three weeks out. You still cross your T's and dot all your I's, but the mental toll it takes is is huge. Um, I, I don't think that that's gonna, I don't think you're going to be that successful long term, or you will, or or you might burn out. Um, I think there would actually be a competitive cost to that. You know, those people typically may blink at the wrong time, make weird decisions because they get too emo- emotionally caught up and can't be objective. So I think from an outsider's perspective. You need to be the guy or the gal who gets up on stage and you're like, holy crap, you're shredded. Um, but yeah, no big deal. You know, um, at a certain point, you know, you need to get there in your career to where um, you're doing what you do. And I think that that's that's what sustainability looks like is, yeah, someone else goes, God, I couldn't wake up at that time. I couldn't do that cardio. I couldn't train like that. I couldn't, uh, you know, weigh and track all my food. I couldn't, you know, sustain a, a deficit for, for 30 weeks. I couldn't go on a diet break and not, not blow out my meal, not blow out my calorie intake. Um, I couldn't do X. I couldn't do Y. I couldn't even bigger picture. I couldn't go through the recovery diet process and then the off season without, you know, really gaining too much weight, hating myself, uh, and then come back and do it again in two years. I would be spending all that time just trying to recover from my season. I think someone who does that, and deals with it and ticks the boxes and comes back again and again and again and again getting better uh, that will look relaxed but objectively you're realizing wow that's a lot they're doing you know um and i think you can see that parallel in other sports who yeah they talk to you about their 30-hour training week and having to get down you know seven thousand calories and having a team of people around them from physios to nutritionists and, and they're just ticking off every next thing they need to do. Um, but they're relatively chill, you know? And I think, I think that is what sustainability looks like to be clear. I think someone who, I think what a lot of bodybuilders do is they are super OCD. 
they're super, they have a lot of anxiety. They're stressed. Uh, they, they, they're always trying to tick boxes and cross X's and, and, and O's, but it's more out of a, a fear or a compulsion or obsessiveness rather than a, let's figure out what I need to do to get the job done. And then how do I figure out how to make this sustainable? So I think that, so they, they hear like so, someone who is like that already and, and needs to confirm their own, that, that what they're doing is okay. They hear it's really important to be almost obsessed and they go, okay, cool. So it's, it's fine that I'm crazy. And then, but the pros, like if you ever hang out with um, the pros at a big show, they are chill backstage. And that's the genetically gifted ones. That's the non-genetically gifted ones. Um, some may have been a little more on their diet than others. You know, like we talked about earlier, they can get away with more because they have a lot of talent. Um, but all of them, it, it, the, the ones who are high level pros who've been in it for a while, they're chill backstage walking around with their, you know, cross-striated cheekbones and shit. So that's, I think that that's something, that's what that looks like. And I think that is almost just kind of like a flavor perspective. Um, I, I think it's important for people who are like white knuckling it at the end of prep and barely able to, 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 to keep their, their anxiety under control that, okay, that's fine if you're there now, but where you need to get to is, is doing all that without it creating a ton of stress, but you're still doing it all. So you think it's more of a, an acquired skill rather than an inherent characteristic of somebody to, to, to build that capacity over time rather than I'm just an anxious person or I'm an OCD obsessed person. So I got into bodybuilding because I like lifting weights rather than, you know, I can learn the skill because the way you talked about all the pros, it means it's either again, survivorship bias where only the, the stress, the, the relaxed ones survive or else it's something that, you know, they've, they've, they've gained and over the years from competing and just going through the process. Yeah, I think very few people are truly mentally built for bodybuilding. You know, like being mentally built for starvation is kind of like not it's not really like a normal thing for anybody. I think I what I've observed as a coach over the last 10 years is that people who are take a little more of a relaxed approach or the people who are super super anxious, both of them move towards the towards each other. They get to some kind of happy medium. Um I started as being too obsessive, too anxious, too OCD about things. Uh, Berto started as being too relaxed. Um, and, you know, we had very different first seasons. He got on stage confident and, you know, 30 pounds over. Uh, I got on stage having you know, crushed myself and I gained 40 pounds after the season was over. Um, I was, you know, pretty, pretty lean for a first time competitor, but not as shredded as I got. But I got there through doing a lot of, worrying and stress and really kind of stressed myself out and almost burned out my first season while he took probably far too of a relaxed approach and didn't do very well. So we both had different types of consequences and he moved towards, let me be a lot more uh, controlled um, and crushed it in his 08 season, got, you know, three pro cards competed for his first time. And he did a reverse diet where he was adding like five grams of carbs and, and a gram of fat, like, every day and maintain stage condition into like two months post show. And everyone's like, why aren't you eating? Of course, this was, you know, 2008. Um, so I think that like, and, and for myself, um, I've come to basically the whole creation of 3DMJ um, was me getting closer to kind of Jeff Alberts where he'd learned to get to. 
So I think it is absolutely a learned effect. Um, you start somewhere along that continuum and you have to move away from kind of leaning on your, your extremity or lack thereof uh, to find that, that happy medium. Uh, you need to either dot more I's or cross more T's, but not let it stress you out too much. Or you need to realize that you're putting too much meaning or stress or emotion or the motivation behind crossing those T's and dotting those I's is uh, anxiety or obsession or, or feeling the need to, uh, or like I'm not good enough or, or something negative. So a lot of it is reframing uh, for, for the more anxious folks. And a lot of it is learning to be uh, more focused on the minutiae without it taking over your life for the less obsessive folks. So, so I guess it's, it's individual, uh, you know, what that means for each person, because what would your, th- you seem to have a fairly relaxed approach to your off season. I, I don't know what you do with your nutrition. Um, you know, I saw the pizza guy deliver there uh, just before we got on. That's <laughs> right. Joking. Yep. At nine thirty-five AM, I got a pizza delivered to my yeah. house, folks. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but I mean, they don't open yet. But for me, they make the special delivery at nine AM. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> um, no, but you're training, right? So you're talking about your powerlifting. I know you do some uh, some weight Olympic weightlifting and stuff. So you're you're kind of enjoying yourself. Um, you know, you're not strictly doing bodybuilding style training, even though you know it's all contributing to muscle gain, etc. But what what are your thoughts then of somebody who would say like? I really want to have a, a really successful off season. So I'm going to take it, the approach like my on season, I'm going to track my, whatever, my heart rate variability. I'm going to track my sleep every night. I'm going to track my macros every single day to the T and I'm going to treat it my off season like an on season so that I can be the best. So, you know, you know, they see other people doing that. that's had success. Um, so, you know, that they want to do that and they can justify that as well you know i'm i'm taking this very seriously i'm going to put everything into it that doesn't seem like the approach that you're taking personally now at least for my observations but what are your thoughts with somebody like that and do you think that well it depends again on individual basis that might be obsessive for some but it might be perfectly fine for others or is it the way that you kind of approach it and how would you even know if you're being obsessive yeah, I mean, it's it's obsessive is, is completely in the eye of the beholder. So it, it it all comes down to sustainability. Like you talked about, there's an individual approach. Um, the destination's the same for everybody, in my opinion, uh, for what you're trying to get to. That that description of what I gave earlier of someone who is doing it all and ticking all the boxes, but it is not something that is, uh, you know, they don't have to white knuckle it to do it. Um, but how to get there looks different for other people. That might be chilling out more. Um, and, 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 you know, focusing on the things that do matter and less on the things that don't, uh, or it might be, Hey, you actually need to weigh your, your vegetables during prep, bro. Like don't just throw them in there. Cause eh, you know, um, so both people are, are trying to go to the same destination, but it does look like a different pathway as far as what needs to be done in the off season. Um, you know, I think, I think this is where the evidence-based community is quite useful um, because we can, science is all about kind of telling you like what, what, what doesn't work, not what does based on our statistical modeling. And when things don't make a difference, that's, that's something if we have enough data, we can be like, look, like that's probably not like, I don't think there's going to be a big 
difference between you hitting 350 grams of carbs or 450 grams of carbs with an equal isochloric exchange for fat, you know? And uh, this is just an example. That's not true of everyone. There may be someone listening who that absolutely is not true for, maybe better on, on one or the other. But let's say that is the case. Um, you might be having a quote unquote more hardcore off season by weighing out and making sure you hit 450 grams of carbs instead of 350. Um, but I see anytime there's added complexity with no benefit, that's not a neutral, that's a negative in my mind, because that, that takes up energy, that takes up focus, that takes up your brain space, uh, that could be focused on something else. Um, so I am, uh, the one thing I can say that from my experience as a coach is that a lot of the things that bodybuilders do to try to quote unquote optimize everything when it doesn't actually have an impact, it's a negative, not neutral. So I had to shift my mindset from that because I used to be like anything that has even a remote chance of helping me a little bit, I'm going to bet money on it. I'll, I'll buy that supplement. I'll, 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 I'll spend time doing that. I will add that exercise in and not realizing that everything is a trade-off. Every time you add something else, you're subtracting something else, even if it's just the opportunity cost. Uh, every time you are saying uh, yes to something, you're saying no to everything else that could have fit that spot in terms of energy or time. So uh, I'm a rigid believer, well, not a rigid believer, I'm a ruthless believer, some kind of good descriptor term uh, that emphasizes the importance of this, of getting your, your big rocks, pebbles, and sand in order. Um, and I think that applies at all levels. Um, and so when someone says, I want to have an off season and they describe being as precise as they would be during prep, um, I remind them there's a reason why bodybuilders aren't in shape all the time. And I remind them that that's how precise we needed to be. Um, and how many things got worse during prep because of that, that focus, you know, uh, that there's a cost, you know, whether that is social whether that is emotional, whether that is sleep, whether that is all the other effects. Um, some of it's just physiological because we're getting shredded, but a lot of it is because of the amount of energy and focus and time and energy you pour into prep, it takes away from other stuff. And sometimes you don't even realize it until months after. So that's not a trade-off we want to make. That's a trade-off we have to make. That's not a, that's not a feature. That's a bug, right? That's just the reality of that, of that, uh, that calculus. So in the off season, we want to make sure we're matching precision with needs and many, many bodybuilders are being overly precise on things that have a much broader biological variation. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm personally not a good example because I'm not just a bodybuilder. You know, I compete in Olympic weightlifting, you know, powerlifting and, and strongman. So if you were to ask me like, Eric is what you're doing optimal for bodybuilding. It's like, no, it's optimal for my goals. I, I, I make myself optimal for someone who's trying to compete in four sports. And you could, you could say, well, that's I'd stupid. And I go, I, I don't care. It's my goal. <laughs> so I think, but, but for example might be, okay. So if I was just a bodybuilder, would I be different with my training? Hell yeah. You know, and I have been, um, and from 2018, from all of 2018 and a half of 2017, my training and my focus and my nutrition, all of that was geared towards competing in 2019. Um, so I think absolutely the off season is arguably for, for a competitor who knows how to get in shape. It's more important because at the highest level that then prep at the highest level, like when you're, when you're, uh, 
let's say you started training at 21, now you're 28, and you're going to eventually be potentially a 37-year-old uh, third-place finisher at Worlds. Let's say that that's that's who we're talking about here. Um, the difference, the way you're going to look from 28 to 29 to 30 to 31 will be small. The difference when you compare 28 to 32 to 33 to 34, that's oh, actually moderate. And then finally, there, there's enough of a change in your physique to where if you're shredded, you pose well, you get on stage, you fold your peak right, that's when you get that, that bronze medal on the world stage. Um, that happens in the off season because you're just getting better and better and better at the contest pr process and making it less and less stressful. What you need to be doing though is making progress in the off season and being able to objectively track it and still stay on point, even though, you know, the time when you have to stop eating pizza is so far away, you know, when you got to tell the guy at 9:35 AM, Hey, you, you turn around, you leave my house, Domino's guy. Uh, thank you for opening specially to give me the Eric Helms breakfast domino special, but but I need to get on point and you go eat some tuna. So, but in all seriousness, well, I think, you're bulking up for powerlifting, right? Everyone knows that they're they're fat, right? Everyone's fat. Everyone is super heavyweight, you're growing even if they're the 93 show. kilos. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So I think I think you need to understand that the the off seasons last longer. They're more important. So if you are feeling burnout. Uh, during the off season, you're not doing it right. Um, you should be pushing yourself, but you need to be in a position where you are you're able to mentally and physically be really committed and enjoy the process. Um, you know, in in my opinion, athletes are at their best when they love what they're doing. You know, when, when, there, when there's passion there. So I think finding a way to maintain a really happy relationship with the sport. Uh, is going to pay off in the long run because it'll allow you to put in all of those uh, that that hard work, and I think being in love with progress is a big part of that too. Um, so, so there there's a a level of precision that will be right for everyone in the off season. There is a level of precision that is or isn't needed though. Like we could objectively say, you know what. I, uh, I don't think a 10% or 20% shift in your carbon to fat ratio is going to make much of a difference. Um, I could objectively say, uh, you know, for someone who's relatively deep in the off season, I don't think your meal timing makes nearly much of a difference as, as it did during prep. Um, I could objectively say, you know, I, I, I don't think the, 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 where you get your carbs from matters nearly as much as, as where it might be when you only have 150 to play with or something like that. So all these things that you might track and manipulate during prep, you don't, and you shouldn't, in my opinion, manipulate them in the off season, even though you could, um, you, know, you could count the number of, of, of brush strokes that you do for, for when you brush your teeth, is that going to necessarily make your teeth better? No, either you brush them well, or you did not, you know, uh, not everything needs to be, needs to be measured. Uh, only things that have a potential to aid in performance and that's, uh, are, are things that if you don't measure them, they won't meet that, that, that requirement. So for example, uh, instead of having people track macros in the off season, uh, I like to see people have a, a certain rate of weight gain, the output, uh, and make sure that the things that they're not great at making sure are, are ticked and crossed off that, that, that to-do list are tracked. So have a running count of protein in your head. If you're someone who doesn't eat enough protein, that's important, right? Um, things like that. So I think in the off season, we need to 
match up the precision with the needs. Uh, and remember that optimal doesn't mean managing everything. Optimal is optimal. And if you're, if you're optimal with less precision or, or less managing of variables, that's better. So that's a, a hard thing for a lot of people to accept, especially when they simply like managing variables. And I'm not telling someone who enjoys and gets comfort, happiness from managing a lot of variables and tracking it and just enjoys seeing it to not, but don't do it at the cost of something else. Like if you are ignoring your hunger signals to track your macros, that's not good. Now, if you're eating modified based on your hunger and satiety, um, getting better awareness of your, your body's needs and tracking that to see what, what it is, that's fine. You know, then in that case, you're not, there's no trade-off, but that's just <clears throat> one of many examples. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's context dependent, right? So if someone's can't gain weight and they're, they're full all the time, they're going to have to track, but to go back well, on the point, maybe, maybe, maybe they're just tracking satiety. Maybe they need to track that. I'm at a, a five out of five on satiety after every meal. I'm full. They don't necessarily need to track their, their macros per se. Mm. Well, I mean, if, if someone's not gaining weight and they're, they're struggling to eat, eat enough, you know, uh, I've never had that problem. I could easily get to 250, no problem. But yeah, <laughs> to go back to the point where you talked about, like, you really want to love it, the sport. I know some people, and I've, in the past, I would say I, I've been obsessive or over, more obsessive than, than justified or than, than was needed. But actually, I loved it. And I know people that, that also love bodybuilding that are, can, can get obsessive. And you can almost rationalize being obsessive because you love it so much. And in bodybuilding, mm. you can't, it's not like, basketball or whatever you can go out and you can work on your three-pointer and then you can do better in the next game it's so slow that you always have to have this uh the fallacy of the must do something or the just do it fallacy or whatever it's called where you feel like it's almost like an impatience where you need to be just kind of doing more and managing more so that you can feel like you're actually making progress rather than sitting around for six months and seeing you know, if you're an intermediate bodybuilder or whatever, that you're, you've gained a few pounds and, and you look no different because you're 20% body fat. So how do you know at the point where it's like I'm getting, you know, you, you're at the point of perhaps burning out. Is it just that you have, you start feeling distance from it or you just, you don't want to train or, cause I haven't really felt burned out before personally. So I can't really explain what the, what that is or, or how that would feel. But how, how would you know that, I'm actually getting burnt out. And I had a friend, I remember when I was very young, introduced me to bodybuilding and he doesn't even lift weights anymore at all, which is, for me, it's crazy. But like he got me into yep. bodybuilding back in the day. Like uh, we used to watch like the, the animal pack guys or whatever, but uh, mm-hmm. it must've been about 12 years ago or more. Um, but what what would what would that look like? How, do, how would someone know that they're, they're getting burnt out or, you know, I'm... I'm on the edge here. I need to kind of take a step back here so that I can actually allow myself to be in this long enough to, to, to see out my goals yeah. or whatever. It starts to feel like a job. You know, it starts to be something you do because you are ruthlessly committed to your goals, not because you are excited to, to reach your goals. It kind of feels like someone uh, took the, took the plug out on, on you being excited about it, you loving it, you enjoying it. Um, <clears throat> and I think, we all know what that feels like at some point deep into prep. 
Um, but if that's happening mm. in the off season, if that's happening early in prep, um, I think if if it stops, basically if it's if it stops being worth it, those people stop doing it, and you can definitely feel that that, that sliding towards that. I think a lot of people experience this the most in the transitions, so the period after prep where they're gaining weight, they don't like the way they look, it's too quick. Uh, they're thinking, crap, now I've got to uh, diet in the off season. It's going to hinder my gains, but I want to compete next year, but I don't want to compete next year. When you start to feel that internal push and pull, yeah. that dissonance, the part of you that does not want to bodybuild and the part of you that does want to bodybuild, uh, the more times those pieces of you are not on the same page, that creates stress, that creates that friction. Uh, that leads to those periodic phases of feeling like the, the plug's been pulled out. So whatever approach you take, it needs to be one where you're not trying to beat one of those, one of those voices into submission, but rather getting agreement between them. Um, this is why a lot of competitors with 3DMJ don't compete annually. Uh, sometimes they don't compete every other year. They take time off. Mm. Um, because if you've still got that dissonance, that part of you that's like, I really don't want to diet, but another part of you that's really excited to diet, if that's where it starts, that almost never goes well. You know, even if you white knuckle it all the way through prep, man, that that's going to be your last season for a while. Yeah. Um, so I felt I, like that. I, I, I never felt like that in the off season, but now that you kind of explained it in prep, I definitely felt that towards between my last two shows, between September and I just started masters and then the worlds in November by November, I was just like the next day I was just happy that I, was, I wasn't competing anymore. Uh, mm -hmm. and not just because it was all over like i just actually couldn't wait for it to not to be make it sense of negative but i just i was looking forward to just being over even a week before i'd even went to new york i just was like yep. i'm done i'm done it felt like i was looking a bit worse in general just feeling like just fed up with feeling like crap i'm tired and, and i wanted to eat some food um but yeah i, I can imagine if you felt that in the off season um but 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 I knew from 100%. competing two other seasons that I that you know I'm gonna feel like better in in a few months and a few pounds time. And that's another really good point, real briefly, is that your ability to bargain with those two parts of you and carry on in a way that benefits you um, rather than is 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 a negative. Even during prep, gets better over time. So I remember my very first season, I competed in shows in April or no early May and I started dieting in January and I could not make it to June. There was another show that I was supposed to do in June. So I did a show in May and then another show two weeks later in May and I pulled the, pulled the pit. Um, and then in 09, I competed from January to September, but I burned myself out so bad um, that as soon as I had won a show in, in my uh, August season, I did two shows. I did five in, in 09. And then in, sorry, 2011, I won the show in August and I was done, even though there was a show with all of the 3DMJ coaches that we were planning on doing just the next month. I was like, I can't, there's, there's no way I can go to the three weeks, which is insane now. Um, and then now this time in, uh, you know, in, in 2019, uh, I was dieting from, you know, mid-December all the way through, through August. And I had like multiple conversations with myself in late July after the show we did together, the, the Mayhem, 
do I want to keep going? Like there's a show in Singapore I could do, and I'm going to be there anyway with Birdo. Um, it's going to be a pain in the ass to try to be there for three weeks, yada, yada, all this stuff. And eventually I, I just had to really assess like which one of those two voices had a stronger voice and what would I be more, more happy with? What would I enjoy? How am I feeling physically? And I was like, you know, let's, let's do this one show in August in New Zealand. And then, and that's it. You know what? You know, the main, the main critique you got is going to be a little bigger anyway. And you're already shredded. You've been shredded for fucking like five months now. Let's, let's finish, you know? So um, that conversation wasn't one that I was self-aware enough to have. Um, and it would have been so much more dominated by, by one voice than the other in different ways in 07 and 09. 09, I would just kept pushing no matter what. I ran out of the shows in 09. You know, 09, I was like, no matter what, I'm going to get my pro card. And I just kept pushing, kept pushing, kept pushing, kept pushing. Did a show on September 28th, and, you know, I didn't have the financial ability or the job flexibility to fly around the world to keep competing. So was, that was it. That's all there was in California. But in 07, it was like I could not take another step. I was so burnt out. So finding you know, being able to listen to both voices is, is uh, something that happens with experience. Mm. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. And uh, just final question before we wrap up, Eric, is how, how do you, how does someone become a successful bodybuilder or have the mindset, say, in spite of not winning shows? So like everybody wants to win shows or get a pro card and, and, you know, people who love bodybuilding, they're the goals, you know, my goals to, to whatever X, Y, Z, but it's not always possible. The same as, you know, in the Olympics, it's not everyone can come first either. How do you have that mindset? Because, you know, cause bodybuilding is, is such a long, you have such a long career. You obviously need to maintain a, a mindset that, you know, even if I lose, I, I can still deem myself to be successful. I've seen it in the past where people have competed and they came second and they had went on a big rant and saying how upset they were and this is not what they expected. But I mean, anybody can show up, you know, on the day. And you might get the yeah. Ireland's national champ show up and just, and just take you out, yeah. you know, in your hometown. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? You never know what's going to happen. Um, shout out to you. For whooping my ass and, and that, that wasn't directed at you by the way that was just in, in general just i know but i i was just being, <laughs> I, I i found myself in that exact same situation though where um i have i have lost and i've, I've framed it as a loss and then I, that that immediately reminds me like hold on like is is the reason i'm here to get a plastic trophy and, and to take first that's a nice like accolade that's a nice thing to get and absolutely there's nothing wrong with being extremely motivated and, and and but like you said not everyone gets to be world champion it's only one person each year or in natural body in the states like 10 people because we have 10 different <laughs> federations <laughs> but uh but WMBF no, right WNBF champion absolutely the, the 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 main natural body champion is only one every year so i think this is true of all sports in that if you are purely focused on winning, you can do extremely well, have made incredible progress, do something that less than 1% of athletes can even do uh, and not be happy. And I think that's tragic. You know, that, that mindset taken too far can really leave someone with just the joy sapped out of an athletic career. And we know that's the way cognitive biases work too. We typically rate the peak experience or the experience near the end of something. 
So if you're just going and going and going and going and going, I'm going to, I'll retire once I'm a world champion and you don't reach it, you can have a sour taste in the mouth despite this amazing thing that you've done over the last couple of decades. And I, when I see that, I think it is just totally tragic. I really do. So I think, I think what one needs to have some ownership of what, how they define success, you know? Um, and I think in team sports, uh, camaraderie, uh, going through a journey with a team, um, enjoyment, having your role to play and sharing the burden of a loss, uh, has, there's, there's kind of a natural pathway to that. You know, I've seen teams who can take a lot of pride and have, you know, somber reflection. They still want to improve, but they're able to collectively come together. Like we had a really rough season, but man, we, 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 we stuck it out. We learned some things. We're going to come back stronger for this. They can frame it as a positive. That's a really good thing. Um, and, you know, individuals can celebrate. I got better at playing my position or we got better doing this or my fitness improved X, Y, Z. A lot more opportunities. In individual sport, um, the you don't have that. But what you do have is the fact that you can always look back to your prior performances. And I think the first step when I have someone who's probably too focused on winning is just to work on beating themselves. Um, and that works great until you're truly at the point where they're injured or just too old to improve. Um, but that gives you a lot of time to work on enjoying the process and finding other ways to achieve success, uh, doing bodybuilding without it negatively impacting either other, any other aspect of your life. We talked about the trade-offs of having a certain obsessive mindset and prep, how that can hurt you socially or uh, with your, your relationships or, you know, hindering other aspects of your life. I think success in bodybuilding is someone who can do this thing they love, keep, you know, change their body, get it to look cool, have this little you know, personal science experiment, as Eric Trexler talks about what he loves about it, but have it be less and less impactful in a negative way on other aspects of your life. So for me in 2019, one of the biggest wins was that I got to go speak in uh, Melbourne. I got to go speak in London. I got to go speak uh, in, I got to travel all around the world and do my normal thing while also getting the best shape of my life and having a really good competitive season uh, from an like, external perspective. Um, and I was publishing papers. I basically, my life felt the least impacted it's ever been. And I got on stage with my best physique. Um, I didn't win a pro card. Um, and that would have made it a little bit better, but it certainly wasn't the only thing that, that, I, that I held uh, to, to hold up as, as kind of my, my success there. So I think for me, I have a very clear story that I'm telling for myself, like my own journey means something. Um, and it, it has, has an arc. It has a purpose. It has uh, definitions for, for what a successful season is, um, not impacting those around me, learning something. Uh, becoming a better human through the process, achieving my best physique, or dealing with the adversity as best as I can to make the best of a bad situation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I think that's going to look different for everybody, but they need to have it. So having that internal conversation to decide what is success, take winning off the table, and you have to be able to have something. Or then you're basically saying, you know, those seven judges right there, I'm going to give them all the power to decide whether I'm happy or successful. Um, and it's okay to give them a little bit of power. It's okay to want to be a WBF world champion.
champion or to want to get your pro card or to want to win a novice class. Um, but you don't want to have that be your only motivation or your, or that you probably will burn out, you know, um, like Roddy Coleman. Yeah. He won eight, eight, eight Mr. Olympias. They didn't stop training after that. So clearly it wasn't just, you know, bodybuilding. He started competing in bodybuilding because it gave him a free gym membership. So he loves training. You know, he loved the process. He loved winning and he did everything he could to, to win that sand down and won eight times, but he was able to hold those two things together. I love lifting. I love the process. I love being a bodybuilder in this journey I'm on. And I love being the best in, in the world. Or that might be, you know, third best in Pennsylvania for you or whatever, whoever, whoever's listening to this. So I think you need to be able to have internal metrics for success um, that sustain you, regardless of whether you're actually outwardly better or not as a bodybuilder. Um, so if you're someone right now who can't understand why this dude's competing in like the masters three division, even though he used to be better, well, who, who loves bodybuilding more? You or him, you know, think about it that way. And then how do how do you get to be that? And, and that requires a lot of uh, internal discovery and discussions. Yeah. I think that's a really, really important, important point. And something that I've been trying to think about personally as well for my next season, like, objectively i think it's going to be hard for me to do better um in bodybuilding shows so i don't want to be in my next season which I, I think will be the year after next 2022 uh you know i want to get a pro card I, I would love to get a pro card but i could rock up to the show in england that's a pro qualifier and andrew chappelle could show up and hand me my plane ticket home to dublin you know so yep. I, I i don't want to be setting the expectations not too high, but setting myself up for a higher probabilistic failure, which means there's a higher chance I'm going to be disappointed or upset with the last 12 months of dieting or however long it's been. Um, and, I, and also, with, I work with some new competitors as well, and I know that you know they want to do well, but at the same time, if, if, if you got you know multiple people, if I've got multiple clients competing in the same class, they can't, they can't, not all of them's going to win. Well, so right. it's uh yeah it's, i think it's a really important point to to hammer home that uh you you need to find and you did have a really good season like you like you said you mentioned how how smooth it seemed i mean it's going to be difficult at some point anyway just from the physiological points of view but you're pumping out papers i know you said you had a there was a bit of a period of time where you just you actually felt it um that it may have impacted your work but that that's always going to be the case yeah it impacted it less than I expected. It eventually happened. Um, and I also, I remember after the mayhem, I did mention to Berto, oh man, I was really hoping I'd win that show, but I lost. And that was a moment where, oh, I even lost track of my story. So I think, yeah, I make it sound like, hey, eventually you'll get to this point where you can have that that narrative and you can also have the, the, the drive to win. It's easy to lose that or to get, about, get it out of balance. So that's something that requires consistent attention as well you know, placing second in a big show, a worthy, very good competitor, isn't a loss to me normally. So when I framed it that way, that was an immediate alarm bell for me. Like, oh shit, I'm getting too wrapped up and it's it's time to win. So I think the, the key point is self-awareness for that part. You have to be, you just gotta stay self-aware and keep talking and keep track of what your, your meaning in the sport is. 
Yeah, well, it is difficult. I mean, competitive—it's competitive natural bodybuilding. It's not, uh, yeah. you know, like some sort of socialist. Everybody gets first place. Like, you know, th- there's competition there, and it's it's fun to compete in any sport when you when it's you know you can lose. So that's it's hard to balance that out, especially in bodybuilding where, you know, there's a huge genetic component to it as well versus some other sports that you can not be that great and just be very skillful and work very hard. Not that you can't do that in bodybuilding, but it's definitely something that you need to balance out. And you all, all often hear people as well saying second place is like, is worse than last place because you're so close, you know, <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't tell you that, Oh, I mean, you just need to, you need to really get serious or you place last. Like you need to do better. Like, okay, sure. You know? Yeah. Anyway, Eric, um, that's, that's it uh, for this podcast. Thanks a lot for coming on, but where can people, Find more about you. I know you've been jet setting a lot last year and this year. You probably haven't even left the country more than once. But uh, what what have you got coming yeah. up? What are you doing? Uh, any papers coming up? Yep. So absolutely no travel. <laughs> I haven't traveled since uh, since March, um, and been nice. So what's coming up? Uh, I've got some got a meet coming up, and uh, we just published a couple papers in the journal Human Kinetics. We had one comparing low bar and high bar squats. We had another good review that I think is very reader friendly uh, on monitoring resistance training, which talks about like auto regulation and other th- other tools you can use to assess uh, when you need to make changes. So that's pretty cool. Um, we may be releasing uh, another uh, chapter of the lifting library this year, or we might we might push that off till next year. Uh, just because people don't even have gym access right now. So we don't want to be like, hey, would you love to know how to do these movements that you don't have access to? So we're, we're still figuring out when to do that, but that's in the works. It's going to be very good. And um, and yeah, just gearing up for, for the end of the year. I can't believe we're almost already approaching 2021. It's nearly November. Mm. Thanks anyway, so much, Eric. You can find me at 3dmusclejourney.com. 3dmusclejourney.com. Everything's there. Link's out. All the fun stuff yeah i'll put your your instagram i think it's helms 3 dmj and and you have a That's the one and mass as well which is great i've been subscribed for a long time and uh i actually just listened to your part one of your podcasts with uh i think it was dr cody hahn earlier uh great podcast anyway Eric, Thanks, great to chat to you dude have a right, good brother. have a good thursday take care So thanks for listening guys to this episode with myself and Dr. Eric Helms. If you enjoyed it, please do leave a rating and review wherever you're watching this or listening to this podcast. It helps with the algorithm and get more people listening to the show. Please do reach out to me if you have any questions or reach out to Eric. You can find our social media handles, links, etc. all in the show notes. I hope you enjoyed it once again and I will chat to you in a further episode when we have on more great guests like Eric.